Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three and author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. I'm also the lead teacher, blogger, and owner of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast devoted to healthy family cooking with traditional methods like sourdough and old-fashioned pickling. These foods are easy, delicious, healing, and your family will love them. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free gift for you. Five free traditional cooking videos from inside Traditional Cooking School that will introduce you to my favorite fundamental techniques of traditional cooking. To start watching today, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash watch. And now, let's get to today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy. This is episode 172. I'm so glad you're joining me. Hello to the live audience that's joining me right now on Facebook Live. You guys are great because you're here live and it really gives me great feedback and great energy to know that I'm talking to real people uh, present right now, not to put down anybody who's coming in later because you are wonderful as well. So if you are tuning in later, you know, not live through your earbuds, you can switch over to the video version at the show notes, which is knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 172 um, or vice versa. And the other thing that's waiting for you at the show notes are the complete um, recap in print of everything I'm planning to share today. We have a great topic today and that is, oops, put up the wrong title there, troubleshooting your ferments. Um, it is the gardening season and so many of us are putting up the bounty that we're harvesting either from the farmer's market, from friends' gardens or our own gardens and we want to ferment and sometimes things go wrong and so today we're all about troubleshooting your ferments. So let's get into it. First I want to talk about fermentation to make sure we're all on the same page and everybody understands what we're talking about. So the process of fermenting is where you combine um, foods, and in mo most of us probably think about fermentation in terms of like vegetables, like sauerkraut or pickles, but you can ferment virtually anything. Anyway, you are uh, taking those vegetables, and you're taking salt, and you are combining them and giving them um, a few days to a few weeks at room temperature to go through an, a marvelous process. The naturally present organisms on those fruits and vegetables um, will begin to feast on the starches and sugars in the foods. And as they do that, they will multiply, which means produce more of themselves. They'll also produce enzymes, vitamins, uh, beneficial acids, um, even gases, that's where you get bubbliness in your ferments. And the result of all of this is that the food is naturally preserved because the presence of the beneficial organisms has exploded to a huge population that repels spoiling organisms. Also, the beneficial acids and the salt will repel spoiling organisms. So you have a naturally preserved food with hardly any work, um, but you also have an incredibly healthy and delicious food to eat that is rich with enzymes vitamins, probiotics. Um, I often say that fruits and vegetables are wonderful, but if you ferment them, you make them better. So fermented foods, sure love them here. I should have mentioned, I am the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods, and you may or may not have my book, um, but you know, it's been a couple years now that it's been out, and um, it's been a lifetime that I've had enjoying and learning to make homemade cultured foods, so I'm just thrilled to be able to talk about it with you. 
So um, that's the process of fermentation. And even though it's safe, you can do it at home. You don't need really special equipment. It's been done since the beginning of time. Issues do come up now and then, but I don't want anybody to be scared about it, um, the things that I bring up today. I wanna to cover some basic safety uh, that has to do with fermentation. Cleanliness, these are things that you wanna do no matter what you're cooking. It doesn't have to do just with fermentation. You should practice it with all your cooking, and that is keeping your containers and your utensils clean, keeping your countertops clean, using organic produce so pesticides and such don't mess with the natural processes. Use a good quality salt. I like Redmond's Real Salt. It's an unrefined salt. It has lots of color, which means you know it hasn't been bleached, it hasn't been fortified with chemicals or anything. A good salt. Uh, ferments love salt, by the way, and they love unrefined salts because those organisms flourish in those minerals. You want good water for your brines that you're creating um, to put over your vegetables, and your water shouldn't be chlorinated or fluoridated. So if you are on city water, you would want to purchase spring water or filter your water. Um, wash your hands. So all of this is basic sanitation plus just basic wholesome ingredients and that's really really important not only for fermentation but all cooking. So shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that we're talking about these basic things. Um, I want to read you a quote from a, U the, a U.S. Department of Agriculture microbiologist, Fred Bright. He said, as far as I know, there has never been a documented case of foodborne illness from fermented vegetables. Risky is not a word I would use to describe vegetable fermentation. It is one of the oldest and safest technologies we have. So if that doesn't give you confidence, then... I'm not sure what will, but it is true that we have been fermenting foods since the beginning of time from um, every culture in the world doing their versions of bread, their versions of um, sauerkraut, their versions of cheese. Fermentation was discovered pretty much when civilization started as a fantastic way to uh, preserve foods and also it made people feel good and kept them healthy. So it's been a long time been around a long time. So hopefully no one is scared um, going into this, even though we are going to be troubleshooting here. We're going to be talking about troubleshooting your ferments. Um, so I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six items to go through with you to go through with you. It's not exhaustive. It's the things that I tend to get by email um, and inquiries with our members all the time. So if you have other issues, you can of course um, visit the show notes when this goes live at knowyourfoodpodcast.com/172 and add your comments uh, in the comments area. You could submit a question. I do. Ooh, I'm looking at the wrong side. I do. Um, do a weekly show called Ask Warty. So you can submit a question to Ask Warty. Use the hashtag Ask Warty and tweet it to my handle at TradCookSchool or you can email me askwarty at askwarty.tv. Okay, so let's go through these potential issues with fermenting. Uh, I just put a picture on the screen, and that is my five-spice apple chutney. You can go to traditionalcookingschool.com and search for apple chutney if you want to check it out. It's one of our most popular recipes. Um, and it's an example of a ferment that doesn't bubble so much. And the reason I bring this up is because I often get inquiries from people who are fermenting something and they say, it's not bubbling. Does that mean it's 
not right? Does that mean it's gone bad? Why aren't there bubbles? Well, here's the thing. You get varying degrees of bubbling when you're fermenting. Remember I told you the process of fermentation, the organisms are feasting on the sugars and starches in food, and one of the things they produce is gas. They're respirating. And so that makes your ferments bubbly. But not all ferments bubble the same amount. So if you're making sauerkraut and it's bubbling like crazy, I call that a happy ferment. Pickles may bubble a ton. Other foods don't bubble so much. So if it doesn't bubble so much, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just could have to do with the food. And on the screen, you see that, I should have pointed that way, you see that um, apple, Five spice apple chutney, that is a thick mixture. Or if you're fermenting a ketchup or a fruit paste, those are thick mixtures. They don't tend to bubble as much. So don't just toss out the ferment if it doesn't bubble. Um, even if it's a sauerkraut and it's not bubbling as much as the last batch, it's not a reason for concern. You wanna take it in context with everything else and all the other signs of a good ferment um, and not bubbling is not a reason to toss it. All right, let me make sure I said everything I wanted to say on that. I think I did. So let's go on to number two, troubleshooting your ferments. All right, um, I just put on the screen, by the way, I have all these items to share with you and the pictures are just eye candy. <laughs> so that's a mixed vegetable kraut uh, that I have in our Inside Traditional Cooking School in our allergy-free cooking e-course in our dairy-free ferments lesson. That was the example. I used a vegetable starter rather than whey to boost that ferment. Uh, so that's that's what the picture is. So number two, though, troubleshooting your ferments is it smells off, people will say. I open and it just doesn't smell right. What's wrong with it? Is it okay? It smells like, and then, you know, insert whatever it smells like. So the first thing I want to say with this one is make sure not to confuse um, um, the normal smells of fermentation, which are sour and acidic and maybe, you know, a little bit yeasty. Don't confuse those smells with spoiling. So just because it smells maybe different to our American taste buds um, doesn't mean it's spoiling. So start with that. Don't assume automatically that if it's doesn't smell right that it's bad, okay? And then it could be, um, but just don't confuse. The smells of fermentation, which can be sour and to some people can be off-putting with spoiling. Spoiling smells rotten. Spoiling smells despicable and disgusting. Now, I know some people who've never had a ferment in their life that are smelling sauerkraut for the very first time might say that it's disgusting. Well, not talking to you. I'm talking to people who had sauerkraut and sour foods and whatnot. Don't dispute, don't confuse those smells with spoiling because spoiling is disgusting. It is repulsive. You know, you just know it's rotting and needs to go on the compost heap. Um, another thing to do when you are assessing your ferment, and I do, um, I do encourage people to get hands-on with their ferment. So if you're making sauerkraut and you're, you know, some people ferment for five to seven days, some people ferment it for a couple weeks. Well, whatever the time period is, it's not that you can't touch it for that time. I encourage you to open it, see how it's doing assess how it's changing in texture, smell it, taste it, get to know the ferment. The more hands-on you are, and I'm not talking about hands-on all the time, but the more you interact with it, the more you learn, and the more it informs you on future ferments. So 
The reason I bring this up is because as you're hands-on with your ferment, you know, maybe opening it up daily to check on how it's doing, you're going to um, open up your jar or whatnot, and the very first air that puffs out is not going to be the most pleasant smelling uh, smell. Don't go by that <laughs> to assess the smell of your ferment. Open it, let that first puff of air disperse, then smell what's inside the jar, okay? Because then the smell is accurate to how the ferment is going, okay? Needed to get those those two things off out, out of the way. But then let's say it does smell off. So it smells excessively yeasty. It smells alcoholic. It smells maybe a little bit metallic or it smells like paint thinner. I've heard that before. People say it smells like paint thinner. Well, you want to look at your conditions. Remember I um, talked about safety and cleanliness. One of those issues besides your clean containers and, you know, fresh vegetables that you washed and, you know, not... You, you want the organic vegetables so the pesticides don't mess it up. So besides all those things, you also want to look at the temperature. Most of the fermentation we're doing should be done at room temperature. That's about 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, if you're getting into the high 70s, 80s, early 80s, early, <laughs> low 80s, uh, 90s, then it's getting way too warm. And that is where your ferment can... Um, go bad. It can go bad in smell and it can go bad in other issues that I'm going to talk up in a bit. So um, if you feel that it's smelling off, it very well could be the temperature. And if you feel that it's smelling metallic or alcoholic or like paint thinner, this is the number one cause is that it's fermenting too warm. You don't want it to be too warm. So move to a cooler location, use your air conditioning, um, you know, it gets challenging in the summer. It gets challenging for me. We don't have air conditioning, so um, you know, very very hot days. There's no there's no way I'm going to be doing a batch of pitch pickles because I know they're they're not going to turn out very well if it's too hot. Okay, so that's the issue number two. Smells off. Uh, issue number three. This is one of my favorite things to ferment. Uh, starting with growing our own or acquiring very good pickling cucumbers and making our own pickles. These are so much better than any pickles you could buy, but when they really work is when they're crunchy, salty, sour. Oh, they're so good. That leads me into the third issue here, mushy. Nobody wants to end up with mushy pickles like are on the screen. I'm sorry, mushy pickles Okay, they are not mushy pickles that are on the screen. They're actually crunchy, but nobody wants to end up with mushy pickles or mushy sauerkraut. Nobody likes that. Well, this can be caused um, by... One of the things in fermentation that we often use as a starter culture, and when we talk about starter culture, we mean adding organisms to the ferment to get it off to a good start. So there's veggie starter cultures. You can drip off whey from... Um, plain yogurt or plain kefir with active cultures. Um, anyway, these starter cultures, you can boost your ferment. But I have found often that using whey with sauerkraut, for instance, can lead to a mushy or maybe even slimy ferment. So if it's vegetables, I would encourage you not to use a starter culture at all, or don't use whey, use a veggie starter culture, like Body Ecology has one, Caldwell's is another brand, homesteadersupply.com, which is one of my favorite online merchants um, and suppliers of things that homesteaders like us want. They have a great veggie starter culture. 
And these tend to help you end up with a crisp result rather than a mushy result. So if you're getting mushy and if you're getting mushy and you're using whey, maybe make it without whey next time. Um, whey doesn't always lead to mushy, so I want to make sure everybody knows that, but it can sometimes. What else? Um, you, maybe you didn't use enough salt. Salt is really key for crunchiness, so increase the salt. Um, too much oxygen, so if you're fermenting in jars where the air is getting in and out, that can lead to mushiness. So you'd want to instead look at um, either you know crocks that you can completely seal up or modifying your canning jars with an airlock lid. In fact, I'll bring up homesteadersupply.com again. They have a lid called a Pickle Pro, and it's a modified um, Tatler canning lid that an airlock has been added to, and it fits right on your um, regular or wide mouth canning jars. And I do prefer the, um, the wide mouth. It's not completely airtight, but this airlock can be I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but it can really um, make a big difference on using a like a, a plastic um, lid for your mason jars, or it can make a big difference on using the metal lid with the ring. So you could look into that. You could also use a Fido jar. Those are completely airtight, or you could buy some of the completely airtight fermentation vessels. So oxygen, too much oxygen getting in could lead to mushiness. Um, another thing that I encourage people to do, this goes back to the hands-on aspect. When you're making your sauerkraut or any kind of mixture of vegetables, remember I talked about how when the um, fermenting organisms, they consume the starches and sugars in food, they respirate, which means they produce gases. And so that gas can actually create the mixture, like bubble up and make the mixture just lift up in the jar over time. So then you have all these air pockets. Well, the air pockets can lead to mushiness. So be hands-on, open your jar every day. If it's a really happy ferment and it's bubbling up, open it up and press that stuff back down under the brine. That will help you uh, not get a mushy end result. All right, we're on to the next one, and that is mold. Now, the sauerkraut on the screen is not moldy, it's just another pretty picture. By the way, I do have a wonderful sauerkraut recipe at traditionalcookingschool.com. You can go there and you can use the search and you can search for no pound kraut. It's a basic, wonderful recipe for sauerkraut that works nearly every time. It's the right amount of salt um, and you don't have to pound for hours. You use the salt to help pull the water out of the cabbage and it creates its own brine without a lot of work. That's why it's called no pound kraut. So search for that at traditionalcookingschool.com. All right, occasionally we get uh, mold on our ferments, and it could be little patches of mold. It could be a thin layer of mold. It could be mold that's got tendrils throughout your ferment. Um, it's sad in either one of those cases, but not all of them are fatal. Now, I don't want you to confuse mold with a white, or a white grayish yeast growth called calm, K-A-H-M. Calm is like dusty on top, and it's not harmful, but it can cause off flavors, and it's really too much oxygen. What I'm talking about here is mold, and mold is like gray or pink or fuzzy. It's not like a flat dust. It's fuzzy. So little patches of mold, skim off, look into 
your conditions, if it's too much air, if it's too warm, if it's not salty enough, if there's not enough brine in your jar, you can correct all of those. Um, if your mixture is coming to the top, press it down. You may need to weight it down. There's fantastic glass uh, fermentation weights. I've purchased a couple sets off eBay. I really don't know if they're still on eBay, but you could Google for glass fermentation weights or glass fermenting weights. That can help keep your mixture completely under the brine so that nothing's at the top getting exposed to air and growing mold. If you have a, a thin layer of mold at the top, that also can be skimmed away. Then you want to address any issues like the ones I mentioned before, correct them, and continue the fermentation. If you have mold tendrils going throughout your ferment, and you may not be able to see them, uh, but you can test it by skimming away off the top, you know, letting any air dissipate, and then taste or gently smell what's left. Not, not a huge amount, but just enough to assess if the rest has been overtaken. You can, you can you can taste it. And in that case, you would want to discard and start over again and look at everything from the cleanliness to the containers to the amount of oxygen to the vegetables you're using to the air temperature and all that to hopefully have a better result the next time. All right. Um, two, three, four, five, six. We have two more to cover. Um, this one <laughs> is you don't like the flavor. <laughs> so the others that I've mentioned more have to do with things you can fix. Uh, and this one you can fix too, but some of it is taste. And I want to start by saying that in our society, um, you know, most of us come to ferments late in life and we may have addictions and or tastes that are just really set in stone and so learning to like ferments can be a transition a process it has to be it's what you would call an acquired taste so give yourself time don't you know if you don't like it the first time that's okay don't assume you're never gonna like it try again in a week or two um, give yourself just like we say with our children that you might not like it well, I don't know if you actually say this out loud to your children, but you at least think it. You know that a child might refuse it the first time through the 11th time and the 12th time they'll say, I'll try some. I'll, or the 12th time they'll say, I like it. Where 11 times prior they said, I hate this. Please don't give it to me again. Well, adults can be that way too. And in fact, sometimes adults are more that way because we're older and our habits are more set in stone. So give yourself time. There is something you can do about it though. You may be tasting a ferment that is just done. Like it just finished fermenting and you just chilled it for a while and then you're tasting it. Well, if you um, move your ferments, like your pickles or your sauerkraut or whatnot, to cold storage, which is the fridge or the cellar, which is what you do when it's done with the fermentation stage, the activity of the organism slows way, way down because it's cold, but it doesn't stop. And that ferment will continue to age. And often aging leads to mellowed out flavors and a, a, a different complexity, even less saltiness. So um, put that sauerkraut away for a month in the fridge and then bring it out. You might like it. It may have changed sufficiently that you say, ah, I really love this. You might even find like many of us, that you begin to crave ferments. I know I do. I have to have some sauerkraut every day and I will scoop it out of the jar and then it's just like my, my body is saying, give me more of that and I'll scoop some more and I'll scoop some more and pretty much I have as much sauerkraut as I would have a small salad. Um, so we go through it a lot. Anyway, if you don't like the flavor, number one, give yourself time. Number two, give it a chance to mellow. 
and there is hope for you yet. All right, our final troubleshooting step here is too dry. My ferment is too dry. This is what happens. Um, you make your sauerkraut, it could be very happy, and actually the liquid is spilling out all over the counter. I, I actually advise in many of my recipes to put your ferment on the counter on a towel so it doesn't make a big mess. You can swap out the towel, it absorbs that liquid. Well, so that's some liquid loss. And it may not be detrimental during the ferment, um, but then you move it to the fridge, and all that bubbling and activity that was happening at room temperature slows way, way down with cold storage, and all the contents of the jar just sink including the liquid, the brine. And then you open it and you find that like the top inch or two inches of your sauerkraut is dry. It's not submerged in liquid anymore. Well, you shouldn't store your sauerkraut that way. Uh, you want it to be under the cover of brine, even in storage. So the solution is, you may have an old batch of sauerkraut, um, you've eaten all the cabbage, but there's some juice left. And oh, by the way, don't ever discard that juice because you can use it as a starter culture to start other ferments. Um, you can drink it. You can add it to salad dressings, it's delicious. But one thing you can also do with it is you can pour it into the new ferment to top it off so that everything is submerged. If you don't have any uh, brine from a previous ferment, you can make some new brine. You just put some salt and water, and what I usually do, I eyeball it. It's like a teaspoon of salt in like a cup of water and I stir till the salt is dissolved and that's what I'll use to top off ferments that have gone dry. Okay, so I think we covered it. We've gone over doesn't bubble, we've gone over it smells off, we've gone over mushy, we've gone over moldy, we've gone over you don't like the flavor, and we've gone over it's too dry. So those are the major issues that come up again and again when people email or correspond with me um, about fermenting, and I hope that I've assured you um, that fermenting is safe and that there's simple things you can do about these issues and some of them are really not a big deal anyway. Um, and above all, I just hope that you really get into fermenting and succeed and enjoy the flavors and the fun. It's just a wonderful, beautiful process. To me, it shows me more about God's creation and this beautiful process that he gave us to preserve food and make it very, very healthy for us. Like sauerkraut is one of the most healing foods you could eat. So if you're really excited about fermentation, I want to make sure you know about a free gift I have for you. And that is a fermenting formulas cheat sheet. You can pick it up at tradcookschool.com slash ferment cheat. It's a ferment sheet. <laughs> it's a completely free quick guide where I go through formulas for fermenting. So what I do is say if you want to make a quart of sauerkraut, a quart of pickles, a quart of relish, a quart of salsa. I give you, you know, you need this many vegetables, this much salt, this much, or, or brine. Basically, I give you the formula. So it'll allow you to um, take that garden harvest and create ferments because you know the formula. You're not going off a recipe that has this much of this, this much of this, this much and this. You actually have a formula. I personally find formulas so much more helpful than recipes because then I know that I can adapt and make it work in my kitchen. So I've gone through and created these formulas for you to help you create delicious, healthy, and safe ferments. There's also some basic guidelines for fermenting so that you um, have good information to refer to on what the process is and the basics that you need in order to make it happen. So again, that's at tradcookschool.com slash ferment sheet. 
All right, well, unfortunately I haven't been able to see any comments here on Facebook Live. I don't know actually how to make that work on my phone. Hopefully I'll figure that out for next time. But I wanna thank you all for joining me live and those of you that are coming in later um, listening to this, you can visit the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 172 for all the um, information I've presented here in print. Plus there's an audio version and a video version so you can switch around. Thanks for joining me, everyone. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll come back again. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode and get links and more resources about today's topic. Just visit knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, type the number of this episode. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com slash watch to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. It's a gift. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments, and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested will find this podcast too. Thank you so much, and God bless you. 